Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockerel. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And um, a lot a lot has gone on since we last spoke. A lot of ups and downs for Tottenham. The highs of beating Manchester City and the, the lows of being knocked out of the FA Cup's Middlesbrough. <laughs> Whereas Arsenal seem to be um, going along quite nicely. In fact, Jason, I'd like to, to start this episode by congratulating you on your top four finish and uh, the return to St. Ottingham's Day. You must be be very excited. Uh, oh, I, mean, I mean, honestly, I think Arsenal fans that I know are the complete opposite. You've got people like Jamie O'Hara, our, uh, our favourite our favorite guest, or oh, uh, fantasy guest of the podcast, saying, oh, it's a failure if Arsenal finished the top four. You know, they're expected to do so. It's like, hold on. Where's this revisionism coming from? We were relegated after three games and Spurs had won the league. It's like Spurs have had the best manager in the world in Pochettino and Carrie Kane's the Ballon d'Or for life. Even Tom Brady didn't want to speak to him. Um, honestly, I, 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 I will take your sarcastic congratulations because we are the best team in England right now, alongside City and Liverpool, based on form. That, that's the truth. That's what the stats are showing. We are... We are scoring. We are defending well. We look cohesive as a team. There's spirit. There's momentum. The manager's making good decisions. And it's all looking good. But does that continue? I, I, I have my doubts. And we'll, we'll speak about that later, about kind of how I think it's going to go uh, the next few weeks, I suppose. I mean, it's, we're talking weeks now rather than, I mean, almost weeks rather than months about the seasons. But we're getting to the business end, as they say. But... Um, yeah, it's looking positive. I mean, I, I start... What well, One thing I'm gutted about is that I really got on the Arteta route bandwagon early because I'll never be able to take that back. At the same time, I think he deserved to be sacked at two points in his career. But in hindsight now, I'm happy that we've stuck because you can pretty much see that any club that sticks... I mean, this is... I don't know if this is a like bad argument, but any club that sticks to their manager does... Like, they do well for the most part. But then would you argue that they only stick with their manager because they're doing well? I don't know. Um, but you can see, like, a, I mean, Sean Dyche, kind of an example. You know, they stay and they kept and they kept them up. And they, and he's there for the long run. And Moyes at the time at Everton for that amount of time. And uh, Potter at Brighton at the moment. A bit of longevity and loyalty um, doesn't hurt anyone. But, yeah, back to your question. Mind the gap. It's brilliant. We're looking really, really, really good on paper and on form. Um, but as we know, uh, form is temporary, class is permanent. We just need to show how classy we are right now. And I guess flipping it back to you, I mean, Spurs are consistently inconsistent. Conte throwing his toys out of the pram every week. Um, Harry Kane only turning up for the big games. And um, Spurs getting overhyped about a, a young winger yet again. Yeah, I mean... It's annoying because I feel like we're going to keep doing just enough to make us think that top four is is possible, but really we've probably given ourselves too much to do. I mean, a lot of people were saying when we lost those consecutive home matches to Southampton and Wolves that that was it, top four was done. But then we seemed to pull ourselves back into contention. But then the United game, that seemed like a really big one for me because that was a a six-pointer if we'd won that not only would it have 
put us in a much better position, but it, it probably would have killed off United's chances as well. But losing that and losing it in the manner that we did was probably the first moment this season when I thought, yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna finish top four. We're just not consistent enough. And you look at our our form the past fifteen or so matches, and it has literally been win lose, win lose, win lose, win lose, win lose. Mm. We we can't put we can't string two wins together. Whereas Arsenal, I think, have won what their last five Premier League matches and five in a row, baby. Yeah, I mean that's the sort of consistency that you need to finish in the top four. And we just title winning form, my friend. Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't get that far, but but I mean that is the, the sort of consistency you need, and it, and it's not the consistency we're showing, and we're just we're not strong enough defensively. We're still making so many mistakes, even with Christian Romero in the squad, who I'm not quite <laughs> as en- en- enamoured by as a lot of other Spurs fans. I think he's. Uh, I worry about him physically in the Premier League. I know he likes to kind of get away with a lot of sort of niggly little fouls, but I think in the air, he seems very beatable from set pieces. I mean, the, the goal when we lost to Burnley and even the Ronaldo header to to finish the game at Old Trafford, it seemed like Romero was sort of all over the place and he kind of tempted fate by screaming in Maguire's face after the own goal. You know, it's the kind of thing that you can that get away with. That was filthy behaviour. That was unacceptable. <laughs> well, you can get, I think you can get away with that sort of stuff if you then go on and win the game. But to do that and then go on and lose, it's kind of, you know, you've got to, if you're going to behave like that, you need to back it up with, uh, with results. But, um, to, I mean, to come back though on your point about Arsenal, I would, I, I would agree with, um, uh, Jamie O'Hara, and I think it would be a failure if Arsenal don't finish top four this season because I think if you look at that United Spurs game, even though United won it, United weren't very convincing at all. I mean, that was the most frustrating thing from our end is that you, United didn't even have to play well to beat us. But, you know, for the second time this season, United didn't even have to play that well to put three goals past us. And watching that game, I was thinking, God, if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd love watching this because I'd see two teams here, which are both almost as bad as each other and both as inconsistent as each other, uh, both as kind of defensively suspect as each other. And I think this is, this is great for Arsenal. And what, what you have that that we haven't had this season, what United haven't had this season is, as you were talking about that stability of having stuck by Arteta, you've had the same manager the whole season through, you know, you haven't been in disarray like us and United have been at, at separate points this season. You haven't had, the distraction of European football like West Ham have. You've, you know, you've been able to focus on the league. You went out the FA Cup early as well. And you were, let's not forget, all the money that you spent in the summer. I mean, I think you were even the biggest spenders in the summer, all the money on, on Ben White and Aaron Ramsdale. And I kind of do feel like this is a golden opportunity for Arsenal because if you don't finish top four this season when Spurs and United have changed managers and you know Leicester have had a dip and I mean, who knows what's going to happen with Chelsea between now and the end of the season. It really does feel the doors open for Arsenal. And if you don't capitalise on it now, then when are you going to get back into the Champions League? When are you going to finish top four? Because it's it's not going to open up as nicely for you again as it has done this season. It does feel like it's a real chance. And if you take it, then who knows what that could mean moving forwards. I mean, that was part of the reason why I was so disappointed after losing to United, even though I should expect it by now, losing away at Old Trafford as a, as a Spurs fan. But because it, it, it felt like a a defining defeat in that, you know, if if we don't get top four this season and Arsenal or United get back in and then they make the right decisions next summer, then we could be locked out. You know, Arsenal are kind of proof of it. The, the longer you're out of the Champions League, the harder it can be sometimes to get back in and it, you can have to go through a bit of pain before you maybe finally kind of settle on the right, the right formula. So, yeah, personally, I'm feeling very down about Spurs' top four chances. I think they're done. But I do think that for Arsenal, there is a golden opportunity now this season. 
So I have three things that have come out of that chat just now, or your, your your take on it, because number one is the revisionism again that, you know, the truth is, yeah, we've made all those signings, but apparently they were the worst signings and Arteta was a terrible manager and we were going to finish table or mid-table or be relegated. And yes, the, the circumstances have fallen in our, in our favour, but there's still a long way to go. And that that's kind of, you know, you mentioned that defining moment, but I'm not so sure. As I, as I said before, and I'll save it a little bit because I want I want you to be really uh, built up for it. But the fixtures are really interesting. We have some really, really, really hard fixtures. I would argue definitely harder than Spurs. I haven't looked at United or West Ham, or Wolves or anything like that. But I, I think Arsenal fans still see Spurs as the... Um, as the uh, as the as the big opponents, there's there's something in psychology called defensive pessimism, and I think it's all in the it's all in the name really, and I think that's what I am, you know, just preempting and saying it's going to be a disaster because it protect it will protect me when it when it inevitably is, you know, we've been burnt recently, and uh, the one thing that does great on me, and I suppose I'm bringing I'm bringing it up to protect myself now, is this kind of old oh, top fours are everything, and top fours like a trophy, and we're celebrating it. And we're going to do exactly what, you know, we've derided Spurs fans for. But again, everything's in context. It's in the context of the past few years, post-Wenger, the disarray we were in at the start of this season, the way things have gone. And yet, you know, the context has changed. Um, and that's really exciting. It's really exciting to, to, to get back to a, a level where we can compete for trophies rather than it being the trophy itself. And I think we need to have perspective, but I think this goes back to this whole celebration police. And maybe I'm guilty of, of um, bashing it with Spurs a lot. It's just funny because they literally can't win a trophy, but you know, celebrate what you want, enjoy what you want. It's subjective. We have, we have enough going on in the world to not celebrate and enjoy football. Um, and the thing you said about that chance with Arsenal, I agree that this could be an easy one or easier one because of what's going on around us. But I actually think longer term, we have more of a chance because of the way they built this younger team and system, because of the way we've got rid of the Deadwood and, and got a culture. And because of the fact that actually City and Liverpool could lose their managers in the next two years. Klopp's already talking. I mean, Le Grove uh, put it brilliantly. He said, that, um, he said that Klopp always talks about how players get bored and that sometimes they just need a fresh, a fresh set of eyes and that he could go... Pep Guardiola, we know if he doesn't win the Champions League, I think he'll be sacked at this rate. Um, and the way he's bottling it again, league. Um, Chelsea won't exist, hopefully. <laughs> um, sorry to the fans. And, you know, I don't think anyone else can sustain it. And Spurs have no strategy. So there's a chance. I mean, if, you, if all those things go into, into play, I think we could be lifting the Premier League trophy in 2024, in May 2024. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but I think... Uh, I genuinely think the optimism from the Arsenal fans about where we're going is so high that I don't know what it would take for us to get off that high. Um, and even if we were, if Mikel was to have a terrible, terrible season next year and actually be sacked, I think the club would still say, we want to go down this younger route and keep with this strategy. And that's something we, we were supposed to do after Wenger was supposed to say, no, we're not centralising it. We're, not, we're, getting, we're making a central process. We don't want one guy owning the whole thing. 
if you need to replace cogs in the system, that's how you do it. So yeah, a few different points there, and 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 you know, I'm sure Spurs fans will also call us revisionist in a sense, um, and kind of defensive and and engaging a bit of protectionism, but. I think it's the only thing we can do, but it is lovely to to laugh at Spurs and you know see how they can't even cope with a 37 year old um, with no pace anymore um, terrorising the defence. Well, yeah, I mean it was it was typical that we'd be the team that Ronaldo all of a sudden turns up against, and and how on earth he gets all that time and space for all three goals when we've got three centre-backs on the pitch and two defensive midfielders and yet he he's just completely free and open first of all at the edge of the box for the first goal then in the penalty box then for the second goal and then from the corner for the third goal how each time you've managed to leave probably one of the most dangerous players in world football unmarked as I said all those defensive players on the pitch I don't, I don't know how that happens I really don't Conte ball but at least you have Kulisevsky who will uh, be sold to City in a year I really like Kulisevsky. And in fact, I want to, because we, I don't think we actually have spoken on here about the end of the January transfer window. I think it hadn't, it hadn't wow. finished by the time we spoke. And I actually think that even uh. though I've written off our top four chances, I actually think we had a much better window than people uh, maybe give us credit for. I think Kulisevsky and Bentoncourt, you know, a lot of people getting on their backs, um, rival fans, neutrals, even Spurs fans, because they didn't, immediately hit the ground running within their first one or two games. But I think we forgot, you know, in, in a pre sort of social media, 24 seven football media world, a, a, a new signings impact was judged over a few games, not just their first appearances. And actually I think both Kulisevsky and Bentecourt, but, but more Kulisevsky have made a very big impact and have improved us. I mean, Kulisevsky for me reminds me of Christian Eriksen almost. And I think he gives us a different dimension in that front three. And I think he's already, um, combined so well with Son and Kane he's been scoring goals getting assists he's he's just much uh it seems a much smarter player than than Lucas who's very sort of streaky and very kind of you know he just runs at you and is a bit of a headless chicken sometimes kind of just runs into trouble whereas Kulisevsky seems to read the game so well can pick out a pass has a great left foot and similar to Christian Eriksen as well is kind of deceptively fast and and kind of deceptively hardworking Christian Eriksen kind of gave the appearance of a player who didn't move all that much but then actually when you saw his stats after the game he would have kind of covered more ground than anyone else and Kulusevsky has a similar I think work ethic and kind of does a lot of defensive work as well as then popping up with sort of crucial you know crucial times you know United he was the one who created that that penalty for Kane by I can't remember who it was who he nutmegged on the edge of the box for getting the cross in which then was the handball I mean he set up the winning goal against uh, Man City so I'm really excited about him. And I actually think that mm. with him and Bentoncourt for the first time, because I was thinking like, when was the last time Spurs actually made signings, which instantly improved the first 11. And I kind of had to go all the yeah, way back to, to when we signed Lucas. But even then, when he first came in, he was more of a sub, like impact sub. And you kind of only say Lucas because of Amsterdam and what the hat trick against Ajax. If mm. it wasn't for that, you probably wouldn't even say Lucas, which just goes to show how bad our recruitment has been over the years. And it's probably why we're in, the state we're in now where we're struggling so much to to put a couple wins together and, and mount a proper uh, top four challenge but hopefully this does mark a bit of a change in how we do business and I think it's good because there was a lot of people making just because Juventus fans uh, were supposedly happy to see the back of Kulisevsky and Bentoncourt I think everybody was kind of laughing at Spurs saying oh they've signed another dud but Kulisevsky seems to have instantly 
uh, made an impact in the Premier League. And I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing kind of what him and Son and Kane could get up to together between now and the season, but next season as well, once he's had a kind of full year in, in England in a full summer and pre-season under Conte, I think he could be uh, quite the star for us next season. It is interesting, though, how Spurs, like a bit like Chelsea, just stockpile players full stop. Spurs and their wingers every week. It's like, oh, here's Stevie, Stevie Wonder. No, no, no. We, we don't care about him anymore. Thanks for a couple of goals. You're off. Mora, best player on the pitch for half a season. No, no, no. We've got, we've got this Kulu guy. Um, it, it's a merry-go-round. But listen, in terms of improving, I don't know. I mean, I, I know the Spurs way from the outside. And to be honest, I reckon he'll be on the bench by the end of the season. I know he looks good, but... I mean, Bentecourt certainly doesn't look like he's moved the needle, in my opinion. Uh, just a, is he Argentinian? Uh, Uruguayan. Uruguayan, okay. I apologise. Uh, the Uruguayan uh, Harry Winks, that's, that's going to be my, my saying for now. But I, I have to make a confession, um, or at least admit, uh, Arsenal's transfer window was not as good as Spurs, because all we did was weaken um, I can't say I was too devastated about Kalasnach moving on, RIP Said, um, or Count Chambers, but uh, losing Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in the way we did, pretty bad, isn't it? I mean, look how well he's doing at Barcelona, and, and I think he needed to leave. I think there was something wrong and, and fine, but how can they plead poverty? They're going to like, they were like in the, trying to sign Haaland and they plead poverty for Aubameyang, and we had to, we had to basically pay. No. Pay 30 million. Come on. I mean, how badly run a club do you have to be? Unless they thought the, the cost of having him would be so much greater. I mean, crazy. But I still don't regret us selling him because I think it's made us a better team because we've, you know, Martinelli has become a first team regular. Smith Rowe has big competition now and can't get in the side. Um, but it's going to be interesting. I, I, think, I think not signing a striker, if we do not finish top four now, Edu will be gone in the summer because that's a failing on him because Arteta even, they, they interviewed Arteta the other day and they said, what are you looking for in a striker? He said, I want someone who scores goals. You've had Lacazette who scored one goal this year. It's Canada year. It's pathetic. He does bring people into the game, but like, you know, Saka, Martinelli and Odegaard and Smith Rowe, they're trying, but they're not bang, bang strikers. And um, that that's a big failure for me. I think... If it's true that they wasted all that time on Vlahovic, it's a joke because he was never going to come. It was a pipe dream. It was ridiculous um, this year. And I wonder what they're going to do in the summer. I mean, signing Lacazette up for another year, really? I mean, it's it's nice, but it's not exciting for us. And and it's funny because we've always we've kind of been fine with strikers all over the years. We kind of knew what we had. Um, but the past couple of years, it's been a real disaster. And uh, club at Arsenal need a striker the other side of me thinks well Arteta is basically Pep Jr and Pep plays without strikers he thinks that's the system he wants to do and then there were rumors that we'd sign Gabriel Jesus this summer when he's nearly out of contract because that's the kind of style more a, a hold up striker but I don't know the game evolves so quickly and how can you say that not having a Mbappe or Lewandowski or um Benzema or Kane type player in your or type player in your team is not good. At the same time, Liverpool basically play with hundred wingers and they all play as strikers and rotate, etc. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting what happens um, going forward. I think I think what we do will 
I, th- I don't think it will actually matter. I think if we get into the Champions League, I'll say, right, we need to get someone proper in. And if we don't, they're going to say, well, really, we need to get someone proper in because we need to do it. We need to, we need to come back. One thing I wanted to mention, actually, on one of our brilliant new signings, the great Aaron Ramsdale, best keeper in the league, and also people actually debating whether Ramsdale or Pickford should be number, England number one. I mean, even as a Spurs fan, surely this isn't a question. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to like what I'm about to say. Please, please. Because I'm sorry, I, I have to say my bit first, that it depends how you run a, how you run a national side whether you run it like a club and say, here's my squad and, and these are the players that have been loyal and da 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 and have experience, or whether you base it on form. Because on form, I'm not, I, I'll, I'll, I'll hang up the call if you even, if you even pick Pickford. But based on, uh, you know, uh, Gareth's uh, favourites, then, then yeah, of course, um, Pickford has done well in the tournaments. But look how good he's been. It's like if Maguire starts instead of... Um, Ben White, or to be honest, if Saka Smith Rowe aren't aren't in the in in that on that plane to Qatar, be crazy as it stands. I, I think the, the the thing is that I I get the impression that Sa- I mean look, I think Ramsdale will definitely be in the squad, but whether he starts over Pickford, I'm not so sure because I think um, under Southgate, England have been picking players according to their instant how they perform for England rather than how they perform. At club level, and I get that that might, you know, the question might be, well, then how are other players supposed to get in the squad? But I think Pickford, when he plays for England, has been such an instrumental part of how England have played football these past few tournaments. And I mean, at the Euros, he, you know, he saved Jorginho's penalty in the shootout. If one of Rashford or Sancho or, or Saka had scored their penalties, then Pickford would have, have helped us win the European Championship with his saves. Similarly to, you know, in the World Cup, the penalty shootout, how well he performed in that. For England, he's been a very reliable, very good goalkeeper who's come up in big moments. And even though obviously Everton are having a bad season, you know, if we and might get relegated, but if we judged goalkeepers according to being part of relegated teams, then Ramsdale would never have gone to Arsenal. Um, and I think they will pick, they, you know, I think they will see Pickford as because of what he's done from the, in the past. They'll want to kind of reward that in a way. And I think a lot of times international football and club football are two very different things. And we've seen even with goalkeepers who perform brilliantly at club level, but then they get to international level, you know, Rob Green in the, the 2010 World Cup, for example. And and it, it, for whatever reason, it doesn't work. You know, I think of Miroslav Kloser, I think is one of the best examples of this, like the top goal scorer for, Ger- like for Germany, even I think the top World Cup goal scorer. But mm. nobody ever talks about what he did at club level. And I think they are two slightly different things. And I think that, I can understand why people say our oh, Ramsdale is in better form than Pickford, therefore should be England number one. But I feel like the way the England teams have been picked over the years, they do seem to think more about how well they play for England than how well they play for their club. And I think you can't say that Pickford's England performances mean that he deserves to be dropped, even if he's not doing as well at club level at the moment. But if you if you swapped Pickford and Ramsdale around, if Pickford was at Arsenal instead in a, in a team that was doing well and was confident, was moving in the right direction... And Ramsdale, as we've seen before, when he's been at relegated club, I think goalkeepers maybe more than any other position are kind of at the mercy of the defence in front of them and how well the team in front of them are doing, which I guess makes it hard sometimes to compare them. But I'm pretty sure Ramsdale, I mean, Ramsdale's reminded me of Jordan Pickford all along in terms of the over the top um, kind of look at me expressions he makes after every save, similar to the way Pickford used to do. And I'm sure he'll have a similar trajectory to Pickford. I'm sure he'll end up being the number one. And then, like all England number ones, 
like Paul Robinson <laughs> before him or other, they'll have a big mistake and then go off form and then they'll decline again. Um, it's so interesting I'll, you say that. It's interesting you say that because he had a terrible game the other day, but he kept a clean a few weeks ago. But he kept a clean sheet, and it was like embarrassing. He just completely lost the plot, and then he came back confident again. And I don't know, maybe this guy has more resilience than our uh, our old keepers. Maybe. I mean, hopefully, for England's point of view, I hope not from Arsenal's point of view. I'm trying to think. Was was David Seaman maybe the last time that Arsenal had a goalkeeper who was England number one? David Seaman. Um, who was after? I know there was that attempt. David James. Remember, remember when they wanted Almunia to get a, it past? I was literally the... just about to say, can you imagine blonde-haired Almunia responsible for all my pain as an Arsenal fan? Oh, God. I mean, I reckon I, I would have been in with a shot um, at that time. We were in dire... I mean, we almost picked Mikel Arteta. Almost tried to get him an English passport. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, dire, dire, dire times on the international stage. I get your point. I get. I accept your point. Um, I think you're wrong, but I accept your point. <laughs> and I'm right, and don't, no one else can tell me anything else. Um, I just wrote down before we start on the podcast, I wrote one word, and I wrote it three times about Arsenal's three games. And the word, or the last three games, and, and the word was unreal. And that's really interesting, unreal. And I haven't described Arsenal like that for a long time. And it's it's the fact that that Wolves game, that last minute winner, it was unreal in terms of the spirit and that feeling. The Watford goals, just the unreal actual goals we scored. And then the Leicester game, just some of the football we were playing was unreal. And it's just unbe- it's just unbelievable how we've kind of turned it around because even if the season ends in disaster, there's been progress, that's for sure. Um, unless we finish 10th and then it's disaster, but there really has been progress. I mean, it's unbelievable. Surely from a Spurs perspective, you can, I mean, even Jamie O'Hara said, uh, it, I hate to say it, but Arsenal look good. Or do you feel like you're watching a bit like uh, Rami Malek said in, in No Time to Die? I feel like I'm staring at my own reflection. Well, it's funny, actually, you mentioned that Wolves game, because actually, even though I said um, our loss to United was a moment when I thought top four was over, actually, another moment when I thought, oh, Arsenal are going to finish top four, aren't they, was when, so I was at a, a press screening of The Batman, and then I came yeah. out, and I was walking down to the tube, and I could hear people chanting, <laughs> you know, Arsenal, Arsenal, and I was like, oh, God, they won, didn't they? And then I was stuck on the train home with a bunch of Arsenal fans. And I didn't even have to go on BBC Sport just by listening to them. I could tell what had happened, that it was a last minute winner. And because we'd lost, we'd lost at home to Wolves and hearing that you'd beat them in the last minute, I just thought, oh God, it's going to happen, isn't it? Arsenal are going to do it. And definitely what I'm envious of is, it's strange because I wouldn't necessarily say I'm envious of your quality. And that's not me saying you don't have any quality. Of course, you do have some quality players, but... I, I think it's more the consistency because Spurs have been so inconsistent and Arsenal do seem to be just getting the job done and winning the games that you'd expect them to win. You know, obviously they've, they've lost um, to, to Liverpool and Man City earlier in the season. And I know you said you've got tricky fixtures coming up, but you're winning the games that you'd look at on paper and go, yeah, home fixture against a team lower down the table should be an Arsenal win. And it is not like Spurs where, the games you wouldn't expect us to win, we are winning. But in the games that you would expect us to win, we're losing. You're you're picking up, 
you know, it's, it's all well and good us beating Manchester, us taking six points off Man City, but then we've only taken one point off Southampton. And at the end of the day, there's more, you know, there's a top six, but then there's the other 14 teams in the league as well. And you need to pick the points up off them. So, and I think what I see at Arsenal is it does seem like you've got sort of the vibe that we had under Pochettino in maybe the kind of the early days of Poch, maybe not the 15, 16 season, because we were kind of pushing for the league then with Leicester. Although maybe I hope it is like that because then you'll have a, a capitulation on the final day like we did and actually finish below us. It'd be funny if it was a reverse of that. But it seems like, you know, you've got that, you know, young young players coming through, young manager. You know, you've just been talking about winning the league in 2024. You know, you've got that optimism for the future, whereas at Spurs, it definitely feels a lot more precarious. You know, on the one hand, I feel like if we'd got Conte in the summer like we should have done, then I feel like we would have comfortably finished ahead of you. Um but because we've been so uh, such a mess behind the scenes and there's such uncertainty surrounding Conte as well, you don't really know what the future holds. Whereas at least for Arsenal at this moment in time, you feel like you know, OK, we've got this generation of players coming through and we're going to kind of watch them grow and develop and we'll kind of supplement it with a few sort of signings here or there, maybe go and get that striker. And then you kind of, you know what, you know what's coming next in a way, whereas we don't have that same certainty. So I'm definitely envious of the consistency and the certainty, but I feel like quality-wise, if we got our act together, we could be just as good as you and finish ahead of you, but we don't have the same uh, sort of solid base that, that you seem to do at the moment. But I'm hoping that maybe uh, you will have a late collapse and maybe those, those tricky fixtures and that, that maybe you will open the door for us to to kind of do what you, what Arsenal used to do to Spurs all those years. I mean, how many seasons did we think Spurs are going to finish above Arsenal this year? Spurs are so much better than Arsenal. Arsenal are a mess. Arsenal have got no consistency, no stability. And then at the end of the season, out of nowhere, Arsenal would somehow pull it out of the bag and finish above Spurs. And that went on for years and years until Pochettino finally ended um, that sort of who do you seem to have over us. And it just seemed like even in the late Wenger days, Arsenal still had that kind of little bit of experience at the end of the day to kind of, either finish fourth or, or just finish above Spurs. I'm, I'm hoping maybe we can pull a similar kind of rabbit out of the hat this season, but uh, it's definitely more reliant on Arsenal. You know, it's not in our hands anymore. We're relying on Arsenal slipping up. And at the moment, you haven't done that yet. It's interesting. You um, you said about Conte started in the summer that you'd probably be above Arsenal quite comfortably. And, and I suppose the, the question I want to ask you is, Let's reverse back to, OK, Conte rejects you just before Nuno. I mean, this is kind of me leading with a question, but I'll be interested to hear what you think. Do you kind of wish you'd gone with the a similar Arsenal project and said, right, maybe we do cash out on Kane now. Maybe we freshen the squad up a bit, get rid of Ali in the summer instead of waiting till January and, you know, building for the future, maybe even Ryan Mason or, or Ledley King going completely fresh. I don't know. D- doing and just having a strategy because ultimately, yes, it's very exciting to have a manager of Cal- Conte's um, calibre at the club. But if you don't really know where you're going, because I, I still couldn't tell you where Spurs are going now, even under Conte, because it feels like if he does somehow stay next season, he won't last. It'll eventually go. Do you kind of wish you'd, you'd taken that opportunity? That was the clean break where it was like, okay, we're in Conference League, whatever, we're basically out of Europe. We need to start again and a new kind of pro- poch project. And I'd be interested to hear that first. And then 
if Conte does leave in the summer when it inevitably all goes wrong, can you do it then? And is Graham Potter or even Brendan Rodgers, chief bottler, you know, is that where you could go? I'm just interested to know. I mean, I'm sure I've asked you this question in another way before, but I think we're getting closer now to, to finding out whether this is a system that, that really works. Well, I think that was their original intention was to bring in a manager for the sort of for the long term and, and start again. But the problem was they they couldn't the right person wasn't really available. I mean, I think it would have been very hard to have given the job to Ryan Mason permanently when he'd only uh, worked in kind of the youth academy. You know, with Arteta, at least he had been number two to Pep for all those years and had that experience. Now, maybe now Mason's been a part of Conte's staff. Maybe when Conte leaves, maybe they'll think, why don't we give Ryan Mason a go? But I think the plan was to go for someone like that, but the, the right person wasn't really available. I mean, there was all the rumours about Nagelsmann, but he went to Bayern Munich. They wanted to bring Poch back, but PSG weren't going to let him go. They had talks with Ten Hag, but apparently they weren't kind of convinced by his his English was the the, the story that came out. I don't know whether that's true or not. But um, And then obviously Conte became available and the whole thing got a bit muddled. Um, Graham Potter and Brendan Rodgers at the time, neither of them were interested in speaking to Spurs. And you could kind of see why, you know, Rodgers had a good thing going at Leicester. I feel like uh, this summer, Rodgers might be in a, a very different position with Leicester. Similarly, Graham Potter at Brighton. And, and in fact, I think Potter and Rodgers probably were, in a way, the fan favourite picks. But I think both of them kind of felt pretty settled and maybe thought, do you know what? Maybe now's not the best time to go to Spurs. Let's kind of wait and see what happens. Maybe, As I say, maybe next summer they'll be in a different situation. Uh, I think definitely when Conte leaves, they will want to have a more you know, go for a, a longer term project manager. To be honest, I, so there was a, there was a part of me after the United game, which genuinely thought, you know what, if PSG offer a, a basically a manager swap this summer, Poch for Conte, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's a part of me that, that tomorrow would have Poch back and would swap out Conte for Poch. Now, the other part of me, which is maybe the calmer, more rational side, is thinking, look, Conte's only been here a few months. You need to, you know, he, he's a, one of the best managers in the world. Look at how long it took Klopp to win something at Liverpool. Even Pep at City didn't have a very good first season. These things take time. You know, bringing Poch back is just an emotional thing. It'd be too soon. If you back Conte, he'll deliver. But there's just a part of me that that is so worried about the prospect of this summer, PSG sack Pochettino, Pochettino goes to Man United. Man United come in big for Kane. Who knows? Maybe they'll be in the top four. Maybe we won't. Conte either leaves or sticks around for one more season, but then leaves after that. And he'll only be under contract for one more season unless he extends it. And then we're looking around for a new manager again. And Poch is at United kind of bringing the glory days back to them. And we're thinking how we let this happen. Um, and, And I genuinely think that Daniel Levy because I'm pretty sure Levy won't be happy about the, the pressure that Conte is putting him under, about the the things that Conte has been saying publicly. And we know that he wanted to try and bring Pochettino back before he spoke to Conte in the summer. And it wouldn't surprise me if he's got one eye on that situation and is thinking to himself, I can't let United get Poch. And if he's thinking, do you know what, if Conte doesn't want to commit beyond what's on his contract and if Conte is going to keep on uh, complaining about transfers or, or putting all his pressure on spending, then... I'm going to try and nab Poch before United can get to him. 
it would not surprise me at all if this summer Conte ended up either at PSG or Real Madrid or whoever and Pochettino came back to Spurs because clearly he was interested enough to speak to us last summer. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd say watch that space. I mean, I want it to work out Conte. Of course I do. Um, but I think it would not surprise me if we saw a bit of a manager merry-go-round this summer. But I think whoever comes after Conte, it needs to be a, a permanent thing. We need that stability like you were talking about earlier with Arteta. We need to bring in a manager who we can back and trust and give a few years because we've gone through so many different managers. It's just not sustainable. But I mean, hopefully Conte, you know, who knows, maybe Conte is a changed man and wants to commit and build a long-term thing at Spurs. I mean, to be honest, I don't really see where else Conte goes. If United or Real Madrid wanted him, they could have got him this summer. PSG, I don't really think Conte would be that attracted by the idea of PSG because it's just all on the Champions League. The, the, the French League, there's no real competition there. I don't think he'd be that excited by that. He's already managed Chelsea. And like you said, who knows what's going to happen with Chelsea. He's already managed Juventus. So you kind of think, well, if Conte does want to storm off in a half, where's he going to go to? So I don't know. I really don't know. And I think that's part of what's causing maybe some more of the anxiety and bad feeling amongst Spurs fans as well, is that we just don't really know uh, how this is all going to work itself out. Um, but I guess to answer your question, yes, I would like a, I wish we had gone for a longer term option in the summer, but I don't think there was one available. And if Conte does go, then basically I hope we bring Pochettino back. I mean, Conte, you say you wouldn't be that interested in that PSG job potentially, but actually I don't think he's won the Champions League or got near. So that could be a chance to say, you know what, I might have Messi for one more year, probably not Mbappe, Neymar, maybe a last minute move for Haaland, or I think City's a done deal. Who knows? But I kind of want to do a little, I guess it's coaching with you in a way, because just the what are the positives and negatives of Pochettino going back to Spurs? Because ultimately it feels a bit like an ex-girlfriend. There's a reason why you broke up in the first place. Um, yeah, so, so, so what would be good about Pochettino going? What could, be, what could be the highest high? Because realistically, could he ever get back to that Champions League final? Or is that not what the expectation is? That was a fluke. Is it just to somehow get a title charge and, and win a trophy? I mean, you're not bringing Pochettino back to get you a, a League Cup. Um, and what's the worst? I mean, the worst that could happen is, I don't know, his, his legacy was pretty, is probably tarnished in a sense based on what he did just before. But did he have a legacy really at all? I'd argue without a trophy. I mean, he definitely has a legacy. I mean, it is the first time Spurs have ever got to the Champions League final and the circumstances in which we did it and, and the stuff we were fighting. I mean, don't forget, that was the season where we hadn't signed anyone and where we'd spent most of the season playing at Wembley without home stadium. And for him to have got us to the Champions League final under those circumstances, I still, you know, regardless of what ended up happening in the final, I still think is pretty incredible. And I mean, he got us our highest Premier League um, position and points total as well. I mean, it was the best team in the league since basically the sixties. And he had consistent top four finishes. I mean, we finished in the top four, four seasons in a row. And um, he, he just, I think it was, you know, the positives is I think he would bring back that sort of positive feeling and connection to the club that's basically been missing since he was sacked. I mean, Mourinho for various reasons, the fans never really warmed to. Then we had Nuno and now Conte, there's a lot of excitement around, but I, there's not the same, despite all the, the songs that there are for him and everything, it, I, at least I personally don't feel that same connection with him because 
I don't, he doesn't feel like he's one of our own the way Pochettino did. You know, you feel like he could walk out any second. And with some of the things he says, sometimes it feels like he's almost distance, distancing himself from the club. So I feel like Pochettino would bring back the the emotion and the, and the connection to the club. And I feel like the one thing that would be fundamentally different is that last time Pochettino was here, he was kind of hamstrung by the the new stadium because he basically achieved things ahead of schedule. When he had a team that was maybe one or two signings away from being able to win a title, all the energy and focus and finances of the club were being directed towards building this new stadium. The new stadium was this thing, strangely, that was holding Pochettino back. Whereas if you brought him back now with a new stadium's built and it's it's generating revenue and he's got the chance to to benefit from that and to kind of build and because he was always talking towards the end about needing to rebuild and starting a new cycle. He never really got to do it. But if you you bring him back and say, right, you can build, you can build that new team, you can build that new cycle. And I think for Poch as well, it would you know he's just been at somewhere like PSG where it's a bit of a circus that club all the politics and, and drama and and the kind of the, the, the power games and, and the power struggle. And I feel that United, it would be a very similar environment, whereas he knows he can come back to Spurs where he can be much more influential uh, and, and have much more of a, of a sway over things and build a team in his image and, and have that hunger to kind of finish what he started. And he's always talked about, you know, one day I'd love to go back to Spurs and, and kind of finish the job. And so I think you'd have you'd have all that positive feeling. And I think that it would be that enough that it's not just like he'd be coming back to the same team and the same problems. I think the situation would be a little bit different behind the scenes. But obviously, yeah, the negative is, you know, is this just an emotional thing? And would it, you know, you, there's always the risk that he does tarnish that legacy because he, because he does have a positive legacy at Spurs, even without a trophy, just because of the memories. But if it all goes wrong again, then you'll be thinking, oh, you know, we should have just left it how it was. But I think, to be honest, the way I look at it is that if if Conte leaves and we need to hire a manager in the summer and Pochettino is available, Pochettino would be the best manager on the market, the best manager available, who, if we hadn't already had as our manager, and if he'd done what he did with Spurs with somebody else, we'd be saying, oh, yeah, we'd love that guy. You know, if he'd, if he'd done with um, Everton what he'd done with Tottenham and he'd never managed Tottenham before, went to PSG, got sacked, and then we needed the manager, we'd be going, yeah, bring Poch in. The same way Man United were interested in him. So... I think he, you know, quite simply, he would be even putting to one side all the history and the baggage and the emotion. I think he would simply be the best option available if he were to be on the market. I mean, I think he probably will be. I don't think anybody thinks Pochettino is still managing PSG in the summer. I guess it's just a question of whether Spurs have a vacancy. I think Conte will stay. I don't think he's going to go this summer. Um, but who knows? And there's there's part of me that almost wishes... No, I don't want Conte to walk out, but it would make it... I just don't want to see Pochettino go to United. And at least if Conte's left us, then we have a good excuse to bring back Poch. Whereas if we've still got Conte and we have to watch Pochettino go to United and then Conte just leaves a year later and then we're kind of scrambling around for a manager and probably do end up hiring Brendan Rodgers and we're thinking, oh, should we have just should we have just gone for Poch when he was available? But yeah. You might be able to go to Frank Lampard, to be fair. Oh, God. I mean, Everton, I have to say, that 5-0, I mean, I was delighted to see us win 5-0, but honestly, that Everton performance that I saw that night, I was I was gutted that I couldn't, I had COVID, so I couldn't go. I was watching oh. it home on telly, and it's typical. I've missed all the good home games this season because of COVID. The, the Man City win on opening day, I hadn't had my second jab yet. The, 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 the draw with Liverpool, that really exciting 2-2, I 
I was basically because uh, it was just for Christmas and Omicron. I was like, no, I'm not going. And oh, the five. The two, two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then the, the five no win over Everton I missed because I actually did have COVID. But ev- that was the worst performance I've seen from a team all season, and that's saying something considering I've been watching Spurs all season. Everton was so bad, and Frank Lampard it was so naive how they set up, and I genuinely think they're going to get relegated. And actually, to go back to your striker question, I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin will be available this summer. Um, maybe even Jordan Pickford as well. I think there be, could be a fire sale at Everton because their finances are mess. Ever Charleston. And I think they, they're going, the way they're playing at the moment, they're going down. That is unbelievable. That would probably be the best team to ever get relegated on paper. Yeah, I mean, Surely. I was reading that they're one of only a small handful of teams to have never been relegated. Wow. So well, it's pre- pretty historic to uh, yeah. that was happen. I mean, I was going to say the same thing. I, I've watched us against Leeds and Leicester this year. And if Leicester hadn't started decently, They'd be down there. They are so bad. Without Vardy, Madison didn't even look like he was on the pitch the other day. I mean, they have... It's strange because they have some good players individually, but they are, they're just decimated. It's so odd. It's well, one of the, those seasons. Yeah, I mean, and with Rodgers as well, that's the other kind of... I don't know if it's a nightmare scenario, but I was thinking the other day, like, oh, what if Conte walks out, but Poch has gone to United and Leicester sacked Brendan <laughs> Rodgers? Are we going to end up with Brendan Rodgers this summer where... Him and Spurs end up kind of needing each other. He's a good manager. You know, he could end up having a bit more resource at Spurs and uh, doing what he did with Liverpool and getting even closer. He's had experience. I mean, Leicester does have limited resources. But as I said before, like, things are changing. Even I saw today United are thinking of de- demolishing um, Old Trafford. And then they'll go through a cycle like you, um, Arsenal and Spurs have gone, where you have to save money and thing. I mean, pfft. So the landscape would change. And if everyone's money gets taken away, uh, City, Newcastle and Chelsea, then we're all laughing. That's true. And I think you you were right with what you said as well about when Pep and Klopp leave City and Liverpool. Obviously, they'll hire brilliant managers to replace them, but it doesn't matter how good the managers they bring in are. They're not going to be levels of Pep and Klopp and there will inevitably be a dip there and that will open up a window. And maybe previously you would have thought, well, Chelsea will capitalise on that, or United will capitalise on that. But Chelsea don't look like they're capitalising on anything at the moment. And United, it all comes down to, I guess, who they hire this summer and how well that manager does. But you could easily imagine a scenario where United, this time next year, are in a very similar situation and are kind of in a state of perpetual sort of crises. So maybe, that, yeah, it does open the door for, for Arsenal or Spurs to kind of really mount uh, a challenge. Looking forward to the trophy parade. Um I remember saying to you before the podcast that I had gone through every fixture for Spurs and Arsenal the rest of the season. And without looking at the table and just doing it separately, I underlined, I wrote down every club, away or home, and I underlined in three different colours, one for draw, loss and win. Would you like to hear what I did for Arsenal and Spurs and what the points total was and how, ignoring everyone else involved, uh, Man United, West Ham, Wolves, etc., the Premier League would end if Jason was right. I would love to hear that. Let's see uh, Mystic Jason's predictions. Okay, so I'll start with... I'll start with Arsenal. So, I have... You, you won't believe this, but this is why I'm saying the fixtures are hard and that we could take a turn for the worst. So I said Liverpool at home we'd lose, Villa away we would lose, Palace away we would draw... You've got that Vieira effect. 
Brighton at home, we'd win. Southampton away, we'd draw. Chelsea away, we'd lose. United at home, we'd draw. West Ham away, we'd draw. Leeds at home, we'd win. Newcastle away, we might draw. Everton at home, we'd win. And Spurs away, whenever that is, we'd draw. Now that is, I'll tell you in a sec what that totals up as. Then I looked at Spurs. I think you're going to draw to Brighton away, draw to West Ham at home, beat Newcastle at home, draw to Villa away, beat Brighton at home, draw to Brentford away, beat Leicester at home, lose to Liverpool away, beat Burnley at home, beat Norwich at home, and draw with Arsenal at home. Now, what I had that down as is Arsenal having three wins, three losses, and two, four, six draws, with Spurs having four wins, five draws, and one loss. So that, I totaled up, without looking at the table, is Spurs getting 20 points, Arsenal's 14, taking us level on points at the last game of the season, at the end, with us having seven more goals than you at this stage. So ultimately... If I'm right, it's going down the goal difference. <laughs> God, can you imagine? I mean, I think I might have to make this into a little graphic because, I mean, it would be a good accumulator if I was to do this on, on, a, on a betting app. But I think well, maybe I'm being quite fair to Spurs and quite harsh to Arsenal, maybe. But that Liverpool game is probably a write-up. A draw would be a miracle. Villa are good. Palace are decent, Southampton are good. Those are hard, hard, hard games. Newcastle away, they're on form. Everton at home, they, they'll need to stay up, maybe. West Ham, still good. Spurs, you should be beating Brighton twice, Newcastle, Brentford, Leicester, Burnley, Norwich. I still wouldn't put it past them. There's a long way to go. But on form, you'd think we're going to keep it up. But it takes one bad loss and, and or one bad injury. We basically don't have a striker. Eddie Nketiah, as our second striker, is, is basically as good as me. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, at, the start, at the start of this podcast, I came in absolutely sure that Spurs had blown it, that we weren't going to finish top four. I was congratulating you on another same tottering them today. And now we've come to the end of it. And Jason, you of all people are giving me hope that maybe, <laughs> just maybe, Spurs can still do it. Well, this is my job, you see. I make people feel happy. <laughs> so I've done my job and I'll send you an invoice at the end of the episode. Thank you. You've heard it here first, folks. It's going to come down to goal difference on the last day and Spurs will will, will squeak it by, by one goal. We will not be speaking. <laughs> and we will not be speaking. The show will be over. 